Section 11 of the American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 3, September 1870. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The American Bee Journal, Volume 6, Number 3, September 1870, by Various. Natural and Prolific Hardy Queens We are all more or less disposed to regard our own ideas as indisputable. Mr. Quimby, for example, praises his new hive and his queen yard. I have experimented with both, and both are now in my barn waiting to be split up for kindling wood. Mr. John M. Price, in the July number of the Bee Journal, condemns all artificially raised queens, but Rajoyez-vous, friend queen breeders, I come to prove to friend Price that he has misconceived the reason of his bad luck in raising artificial queens. When I commenced to introduce Italian bees in my apiary six years ago, I received from one of our best queen breeders a very nice-looking queen. She was very yellow from the waist to the tip of the abdomen. Well, I raised a number of queens to get drones and the next season I raised some more from the same queen, to replace the misallied queens. But lo, one-fourth of my young queens were either crippled, or drone-laying, or laying non-hatching eggs. Yet these queens were as yellow as their mother, and it seemed as if the brighter they looked, the poorer they were. Then my first imported queens came. They were not yellow, but dark. The first rings of the abdomen were leather-colored, the last were entirely black or nearly so. I wrote to Dr. Blumhoff, reproaching him for having sent me so dark queens. He replied that all the healthier queens in Italy are dark, and it was well ascertained there that the light-colored queens were not so good as the dark. The light-colored queens, added the doctor, seem to have a chlorosis. Professor Mona told the same thing to Mr. A. Grimm when he was in Italy. See American Bee Journal, Volume 3. From this we can guess that the selecting of the brightest yellow queens for breeders is one of the causes of the failure of the queens raised. But in and in breeding is another, and according to my experience, a main cause of weakness. As soon as my first imported queens were on hand, I commenced raising queens from them, and from that time forward I raised artificial queens every year from newly imported queens. Those queens mate with the drones from queens of the preceding year's importation, and so on. I do not care for the color of these queens, but not one of them is crippled or proves to be a poor layer. My five best stocks this year all have artificial queens. Three of these queens are with swarms of last year. I hive them in one of friend Price's hives. These swarms are better than the original stocks they came from though these latter have raised natural queens in the height of the swarming season, as friend Price prefers they should. The five stocks referred to gave me from 70 to 100 pounds each of box honey. I suppose I should be thought as very exigeant if I were not content with such results in so dry a season as this. Why does friend Price imagine that artificially raised queens are not so good as natural ones? probably, because the bees, in order to obtain queens sooner, choose grubs already several days old, instead of selecting newly laid eggs from which to raise queens. 
I have watched that very closely, and could see no appreciable difference. A stock rendered queenless will raise queens maturing at different periods, some hatching in from 9 to 12 or 14 days, and sometimes not till 16 days after. If the above theory were correct, the earlier hatching queens should be the poorer, for they come from grubs three or four days old. Yet, such is not the case. Those queens are as good as any. If that theory proved to be true, it would still be an easy matter to prevent the evil results apprehended. We could destroy the two or three first capped queen cells, or force the bees to raise queens from the egg, by a method far more easy than friend prices. Insert in your own chosen stock a frame containing empty worker comb, placing it between two frames containing brood. In three days, if the bees find honey in the fields, the cells of the worker comb will be supplied with eggs. Then remove the queen and all the brood combs, except the one containing the eggs. The bees will thus have eggs only from which to raise queens, and all your young queens will necessarily be started above I guess this method is as good as, and more simple than, that of friend Price. I am not a queen breeder. That business does not suit me, for it is a source of too much vexation. I have repeatedly imported queens, but I lost money and suffered so much in that business that I think my sufferings will pay for all of my sins in the other world. I am thus altogether disinterested in this manner of breeding queens. On this topic, my advice to apiarians is, first, do not look for yellow queens, for they are not as good as dark ones. Second, take care to avoid too close in and in breeding. Let us also remark that many beekeepers find that the half-blood Italian bees are better than the pure ones. Why? Simply because the in and in breeding the race of their queens was subject to for some generations was broken by the alliance with black drones. But the alliance of the Italian queens with the Italian drones remotely bred would doubtless give as good a progeny while preserving the purity of the stock. Let us remark also that nature in ordering for the queens the wedding flight obviously had in view the avoidance of in and in breeding. Third, choose the colony having the purest queen and the most fertile from which to provide the queen's cells and distribute in small nuclei when sealed. No matter if the queen is dark, in good seasons the queens raised in small nuclei are as good as those raised in full stocks. Charles Dedant, Hamilton, Illinois, July 24, 1870 End of Section 11 Read by Dave Lanzafame, Oak Forest, Illinois, August 3, 2021.